the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from a pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. A very happy mid-autumn festival to all of you. I am Kaiser Guo, joined, as I am in most weeks, by the OG Big V of the Cynic blogosphere, Mr. Jeremy Goldcorn. How are you, Jeremy? I'm very, 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 very well indeed, Kaiser. Good well, evening. Well, that's a lot of varies. So um, today we are taking on a subject that is close to our hearts here at Seneca, uh, the ever-evolving story of China's online public sphere and the deeply ambivalent attitudes that China's party leadership has toward it. In particular, we're going to look at the ongoing crackdown on the so-called big Vs. That's you, Jeremy. The celebrities, well-known business leaders, and public intellectuals. I think, Jeremy, you're all three, right? Um, who Wait, have... Uh, we, can, <laughs> I'm trying to get you in trouble. Can we take this from the top again? <laughs> no, no, no. It's too late, man. It's it's written in stone. Um, and uh, uh, who these you know people, of course, have verified accounts on Sino Weibo and... Uh, Followers that number in the millions, as 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 you have, right, Jeremy? <laughs> so serendipitously, the very week that we are tackling this topic, we have two out of town visitors who happen to be eminently qualified to discuss the topic. You may recall that at the start of our podcast on petroleum purges, we uh, congratulated our friends at the excellent Tea Leaf Nation on their acquisition by the FP Group under the Washington Post. Today, we are honored and delighted to have with us said friends, the two founders, or two of the founders of that website, David Wertheim and Rachel Liu. Welcome to Seneca, and glad you were able to make time to come in. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, great. Uh, so Tea Leaf Nation is, of course, uh, one of the best sites to go to in order to see what's got the Weiborati buzzing. So you guys exited at kind of a perfect time, didn't you? Uh, coincidence? Just before the Beijing leadership decided to completely neuter the the one medium that's crucial to your site's very existence. Yeah, we have some inside information. Yeah. We have a red phone. Oh, okay, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we're going to want to talk to you a little bit about uh, about what happened to you guys and, and your clever deal and your, your insider information. But we're also first delighted to have with us Paul Moser, who is no relation to Seneca regular David Moser, whose name is spelled very differently. Uh, Paul is the technology reporter for the Wall Street Journal here in Beijing. He came to Beijing after a long stint in Taiwan, and he is a, a terrific tech reporter. And I say this as somebody who, you know, is often the subject of, of <laughs> is often quoted by him for, for my work at Baidu. But anyway, Paul, how are you, man? Long overdue debut on Seneca. Good, good. Your praise of me indicates I'm not doing my job, I'm afraid. Um, and uh, David has actually, or people have actually asked whether David is my father uh, in the past. So oh, my uh, when you bump into people, just when, when they hear my name. So but I'll, glad I'll make to be sure here. to tell David that he looks that old. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, anyway, so great to finally have you on. So first, so first Danway, Jeremy, gets acquired by the FT. Then Tea Leaf Nation gets acquired by the FP. Anyone else seeing a pattern here? Uh, anyway, so David, Rachel, is there anything you can tell our, our listeners about, um, you know, that wasn't in the, the very terse press release that, that, that you guys put out? Um, you know, what, what does this mean to the, the, the future of Tea Leaf Nation? What was the process all about? I'm trying to think what wasn't in the press release. I mean... Uh, oh, because there was so much information. There was so much in, in that press release. Um, no, I mean, we're obviously very excited. I think, you know, we're going to have a bigger platform, more resources to work with, um, you know, and we're excited about sort of the shared vision that we have for this project moving forward. I think um, we're going to be able to preserve 
what's so great about Tea Leaf Nation, its spirit, its focus. Just um, just for people who aren't familiar with it, I mean, we've recommended it many times on this show. And in fact, Jeremy, you guys named them a model worker for 2013. Is that correct? We did, yeah. Yeah, Danway did. We're very appreciative of that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't, I mean, you know, it, it used to be a complete dictatorship at Danway, but this year it was relatively, I mean, it was a kind of centralized, you know, Democratic centralism. De- de- democratic centralism. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the people did have their votes, and it was a rather overwhelming choice, I have to say. Very good. Yeah. Wow. I really like the people at Dunway. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so enough of the mutual blowjobs. Let's um. Yeah. Okay. No more blowjobs. No, but t- t- tell us, tell us <laughs> something. Tell us about you know, how long does this deal in the works? Uh, I don't recall the you know when we first exactly started talking. I think it was somewhere around the beginning of the summer. Um, oh. So it's been it's been you know Pretty a matter quick. of months. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's quick. That is quick. I, I've never sold a company before, so that's I know, very I know quick. I Speaking okay. of somebody who sold many companies, uh, well, I've tried to sell many companies, and I've sold one company and half of another company. That's very quick. That's nice. Well done. Well done, indeed. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I guess you guys aren't going to be too forthcoming about in information about the deal. I mean, obviously, you're not going to tell us what you. We believe in transparency, accountability. <laughs> so I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, let's jump right in with today's topic. So what's going on with the big Vs on Cena Weibo right now? And uh, can, can we see this as just like the, the latest ebb in a cycle of ebb and flow and online control? Or does this go beyond that? Um, so uh, is this an indication that the party leadership sees a formation of a rival power center uh can we set the scene first? Concept? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let's do that. I mean, I'm not gonna start. I'm just asking some some of these questions that we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, is 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 this telling us anything about the future general policy direction of the Xi Jinping administration? So, Rachel, as Jeremy suggests, let's start set the scene. Rachel, uh, why don't you start with uh, a very simple question: What is a big V exactly, and who are some of the really big big Vs? Uh, well, I mean, the big fees are these verified account holders of the Sina Weibo, and uh, they could be um, your celebrities, your people who are professors, people who are lawyers, who are business leaders. And some of the biggest fees, um, I guess, uh, I'm just going to name them. One is uh, Xue Manzi. Uh-huh. His English name, I think, is Charles Xue. Yeah. Uh, he is a Chinese-American, um, but I believe he's a so-called... Uh, uh, he actually is uh, a son of a, a pretty prominent Chinese official back in the day, but he had moved to the U.S. back in the 80s, I believe, and then he became an uh, angel investor there, and he came back to China to do a lot of investments. And uh, so he was, you know, no one knew who he was until uh, Weibo came along, and uh, he was... Uh, pretty prominent in some of the charity works, and he one of the biggest things that he became known for is uh, the anti-child trafficking uh, campaign on Weibo, which means people would take pictures of a child they see that they suspect would be, is trafficked, is uh, you know basically uh, being kidnapped by someone, and you can take that picture and share on Weibo, and maybe that child will find his family or be recognized by the police or something like that. So that was yeah, early we'll, we'll be talking a lot about Charles Shea later on, of course, in connection with this crackdown. But who, who are some of the others that we're talking about, and how many of them are uh, you know have uh, followers in the millions? Would you would you reckon? I would reckon there are probably a hundred, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. 
of these people who have followers in the millions or your tens of millions, really. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, Jeremy, I guess you don't, I mean, just to be clear. Well, uh, let's run through some of the other ones just to set some context. I mean, there are quite a lot of business people. So, I mean, Li Kai-Fu, the former chief of Google and former chief of Microsoft in China, and now Innovation Works, is another of the very prominent big Vs. Uh, you have Hong Huang, the uh, media personality CIMG. and uh, publisher, my former boss. Uh, who's uh, You have Pan Shi and Renzhi Chiang, real estate uh, gazillionaires. Um, Yu Jianrong, the economist, who was also involved with the anti-child tra- trafficking campaign. He really campaign. started Yu Jianrong. I think he was the one who started the anti-trafficking right. campaign. And then you have people like Yao Chen, who's an actress, who sort of took over the role of uh, Xu Jinglei used to play in the long-form blog era of the kind of girl-next-door actress who's also occasionally willing to say something slightly political. So, mm-hmm. But, I mean, interestingly, uh, the list that Sina compiled of the 10 most influ- influential people on Weibo at the end of 2012, uh, the, most of the people that we've just mentioned uh, were on that. Uh, you know, none of them were from central government organizations. There were a few TV hosts, all from uh, Hunan TV, none from CCTV, Yao Chen, Li Kaifu, all independent voices, not affiliated with Bush or Tijanader, and none of them are like system Within people. the system. Yeah. Right, right. And some of them are even not Chinese citizens, and that is also a big point mm. uh, in this big B crackdown. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so, Paul, um, Rachel just said Sina Weibo. This is the, the, the um, of course, many of the other major internet companies, including Tencent, including Sina and Sohu, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Sohu and NetEase, both, uh, they all offer uh, microblogging services. Is this focused entirely on Sina right now? Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't seem to be, but it, the primary place we're seeing it right now is obviously in Sina. Um, uh, the thing about Tencent, Tencent has a Weibo, but uh, the people who use that tend to be a little bit less politicized. Uh, they they tend to sort of follow uh, Mingxing, you know, various sort of stars, and not so much sort of discuss the politics uh, quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That that does seem to be sort of focused on Weibo, but at the same time, we're hearing that it could go to WeChat very soon or Weixin, which is this sort of mobile app run by Tencent, uh, which is increasingly getting usage as people uh, leave Weibo or flee it because they're concerned about the politics and go to uh, smaller groups, which you have on on, on uh, Weixin to discuss these sorts of things. But I mean, you guys at Tea Leaf Nation, you gloss Sina Weibo as China's Twitter. Usually that's your standard phrase for it, right? You're still that's using right, it. yeah. And I mean, I think that's... That, that's right, in the sense that Sina Weibo is the place where the political conversation is right, happening. Right. I mean, there are other Weibo's, there's WeChat, but the place where uh, the government is worried about is is essentially Sina Weibo, right? That's correct. I think so. And why is that? Let's 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 talk a little bit about why it would be that Sina would have emerged as the sort of uh, political water cooler. Any any? I, I mean, I have I have some ideas as to why. I, do you suppose that it has to do with the fact that they were? First in long format blogging, that they were the ones who who aggressively courted public intellectuals and, and quite critical intellectuals. I, th- I suspect that it actually has to do with the fact that they were, their brand was all about news to begin with. Yeah, I think that's right. I think out of the major internet companies, Sina is the one that identified media as one of their functions very early on. Whereas Tencent, you know, with QQ, they are more about social networking, about games, and so forth. And Sina never found those platforms to be that profitable for them. And, you know, media is something they grabbed on very early on as a, as what Sina could be about. And uh, I think that they put a lot of energy into developing Weibo very early on, you know, getting these uh, big fees even back in the day to sign up. 
and to promote them and all of that I think contributed to its popularity. Right. Let's let's get an idea of how just how influential these guys are. Uh, Chris Buckley from the New York Times wrote a piece last week uh, where he quoted our Seneca regular Bill Bishop who publishes the Scientism newsletter. Uh, he he Bill gave him a couple of very interesting quotes. He said quote some of them, referring to the big V's, have become more influential than certain state media organs. Weibo is so fast, and the velocity and breadth of the transmission of information is just so much greater now than it is in newspapers and even on TV. Paul, do you think that's a pretty accurate assessment? Yeah, and I mean, one of the amazing things is if you even look beyond that, a guy like Kaifu Lee has 50 million followers at this point, which is getting close to the size of the Communist Party. So if you you know he, at eighty million, he million, is the right. yeah he is the size of the Communist Party. So these incredibly large amounts of followers, and it's instantaneous in terms of how quickly you can get your opinions out there. Uh, so yeah, the so I immense. feel we still haven't really told people if you don't pay attention to the details of this what what's been happening. So I'd like to just run through that. Yeah, let's bit. go. Can run we do that? The actual mm-hmm. crackdown so itself. Basically, in May I, was when I think. Uh, the first signs of this started to happen. And we're not talking about crackdowns on online speech because that happens all the time in China. You know, that's just par for the course. We're talking specifically about the big V crackdown. So in May, there was word on Twitter about a party attended by people like Pan Shiyi and Hong Huang and uh, Ren Zhechang, uh, you know, big influential big Vs, that was convened by the new... Um, uh, chief of the State Council Information Office's uh, state in- uh, the State Council's Internet Internet Office. Uh, yes, just just to be clear, it's the State Internet Information Office, right? Which and is comprised of people from the State Council Information Office and from the Ministry of uh, Information uh, Industry and Information Technology. Mm-hmm. And this guy's name is Lu Wei. So the State Council is basically the government equivalent of the party's propaganda department. The SCIO like maybe that. is. But. Uh, and he had this dinner, uh, invited some of the big Vs, and there was a little bit of word got out on this online. And the intention wasn't super clear, except it was if you were really looking. Um, and um, nothing really happened in May and June after that. But in July, you started to hear more in the state media about uh, problems with you know people, rumors on the internet and big Vs spreading lies. And then in August, uh, a bunch of people got arrested, starting with two people who were running a, an online PR company, the the Chin uh, um, uh, And then pretty much immediately after that, Charles Shue, who we talked about, was bust with prostitutes. Apparently, it was a prostitution bust, um, but. You know, despite the fact that there's like prostitutes on every street corner in China, suddenly oh. this was big news, and it was on CCTV uh, for ten minutes. The the bust of the prostitution, and then um, about ten days after that, Charles Xiu was on CCTV again, confessing to basically spreading, being a naughty man online and spreading rumors and this kind of thing. And just before that, Pan Shi. Another biggie, a big V, was also invited to a, a central China Central Television interview, where he basically was cornered into saying the the, the, the party's new rules, which happened in the same week. Uh, not the party, uh, new laws in China mean that if you tweet something that's a, a rumor and it gets retweeted uh, five hundred times. X number of times. I can't X remember number of times. 500. Was. Was yeah. 500. 500. Or it gets read 5,000 times, then you are eligible for three years in jail. 
Congratulations! You're well eligible done. for three years in jail. Well, so when, now when we said the, the first uh, the first dinner was actually in February. There were two dinners. February. Yeah. So there's one in February which Ren Zhichang put out photos of on Weibo. Right. And, and so that got around, way. and then he was slapped on the wrist and told, "Don't do that again." Right. And so then they had one in May, which was less Secret sort of apparent. Um, though Panchiri took a poll before he went into that meeting uh, for, net, for netizens and said, "What what should I talk about?" Right. So that's kind of an indication of sort of how serious these guys were taking this. And one of the things we heard about these dinners is that they were actually quite uh, pleasant and Lu Wei was not terribly menacing. You know, there was nothing very <laughs> threatening about this at all. Uh, it was, seemed like they were just, he was just kind of there to, to make friends. So Yeah, but, but the attendees were pretty organized. clear on what the message was is my, my Indeed, my yes. But, but interestingly, he was, he was, he was pleasant to, the, to, you know, to their faces. So, no, so. Can, yeah, I know I'm not, Kaiser, we agreed that I wouldn't rant too much, but can we all be agreed that Charles Shear is being paraded around and humiliated in an intentional let's, act? Let's, let's get David the way can, in can, here. Can, David, can we... Uh, is that an accurate reading or not? I, I mean, I think what's significant about Charles Shea is that he, you know, he's on television confessing not only to having patronized a prostitute, but also to having been, as Kaiser said, a, sort of a naughty boy I think online. Jeremy said that. Did Jer- I'm sorry, Jeremy said that. Okay. Somebody said that, but you know, sp- spreading misinformation online, and that wasn't the legal charge; it was assigned to him. And you know, maybe it's me putting on my lawyer hat here. Uh, but it's interesting if you look at the different legal charges that are being used to drag some of these people in. Um, Can you it, go through some of these? What, what, I mean, so Shea was brought up on, on soliciting prostitutes. Yeah, so let, let me see if I got this right. So Shea was prostitution. Uh-huh. Um, Wang Gongqian was... was uh, He's slander or something. I mean, defamation. He's actually more direct. Yeah, defamation. That's right. Yeah. No, no, no. Wang Gongqian no. was for the he's disturbance got it worse. of... Uh, public order. Yeah, uh, that's very vague, and it's not clear what set off that charge. But that—that that is the charge that is often used to right. get dissidents, basically. That's right. That's right. And uh, Wang Gongqian, um, he is not really a big V because he's been censored from Sina Weibo for more than a year now, I think. But um, he used to be, and he's very uh, vocal um, about you know, promoting change in the system. And uh, he got the charge of uh, disturbing public peace. And today, or the past few days, there's another guy. He's not technically a big V. He just a some guy um, who claims to have a knowledge of uh, luxury watches. And uh, Huazong. Huazong, that's yeah. right. Uh, he, um, uh, there were these really blurry pictures of officials online. And he claims that he can identify someone's wearing, say, like an Omega or something that's worth, you know, tens and thousands of um, RMB. And, um, and these got a lot of officials. Uh, so he was in for, because someone accused him of uh, libel, I believe. I thought, it was bla- I thought it was blackmail for him. Yeah, blackmail. <laughs> okay, and so we've got a grab bag. <laughs> you, the there's, exactly, there's charges. a grab bag of charges, but obviously, it, here's the way I think of it, you know, even if it didn't start out in a coordinated way, clearly when everyone looks at this pattern, they, they see something, right? They see coordination. Um, you know, from the party's perspective, this wouldn't have gone forward if there wasn't, like, there is awareness of there's a, that there's a pattern here. I don't think this would have gone forward otherwise, um, simply because that perception obviously is going to arise when you have that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, of, of, of course. Well, to perhaps be cruder, maybe we can quote the editor of the Global Times uh, newspaper, Hu Xijin, from his, his Weibo, that he tweeted after the arrest of Xiu Manza. Although he, he redacted it very quickly. Well, redacted or, he, or he, he deleted, deleted it. it. Right. But he did tweet, 
uh, and I translate, we cannot exclude the possibility that the authorities were using prostitution to entrap Shirmanza. It is an unspoken rule that all governments worldwide frame political opponents through sex scandals and tax evasion charges. So here's a reminder to those who engage in political dissent. If you wish to go down this path, keep your ass clean. If you have shortcomings, yet still take on officials, you'll be squashed sooner or later. Well, I mean, it's funny that your read on it was is focusing on the second half. Mine was on, on, uh, on the first half of what he wrote, which was I mean, a surprising thing to be hearing from Hu Xijin, which is it's basically an admission of that, that the, the, the government he so ardently defends would engage in something like entrapment. Well, you know, he, he's a great mind. He can encapsulate contradictions. <laughs> Well, and, and who needs, I mean, who needs entrapment when, you know, especially given the, ex, you know, how expansive some of these laws are, particularly some of these recent uh, interpretations on the criminal code. I mean, you don't need it. You don't need entrapment. You can pretty much nail everybody under the letter of the law at this point. Right. I mean, it's, it's illegal now to use pretty much any electronic device to spread information, which is. Uh, harmful to the public order. So, right. I mean, you know, you, you don't need anything more than that. Paul, has this had an effect so far? I mean, ha- have we seen a, a, a clear, I mean, all three of you should weigh in on, on this, but a dampening down, has it had a chilling effect on discourse? Yes. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to see when you go on uh, on Weibo, uh, the conversations aren't there as much. These these big V's are the sort of centers, they're the centers of the axes of conversation a lot of times on Weibo. And if you look at some of the studies that talk about how Weibo works, um, there's very few people who are actually very actively posting, and a lot of them are these big V's. So when they're gone, and a lot of them have sort of basically stopped tweeting, uh, you see that the conversation takes a hit. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, <clears throat> anecdotally, you do also see that there's, uh, you know, lots of people are moving over to WeChat or just watching their mouths and not putting anything out. We were uh, we were covering the, the ferry that got stranded or the cruise that got stranded in uh, South Korea. And there were people saying, well, normally you'd get citizen reporting on this. People on the boat would be, would be tweeting out about it. And we, we were tr- sort of reaching out to one person who basically said, well, I was afraid to say anything because I thought, you know, if I wasn't completely correct, then I would be grabbed, you know, chained and locked up. So. Well, the, the truth is that most of them have GSM phones that just don't work in Korea, I think. Dolby <laughs> <laughs> CDMA doesn't work in Korea. It's so <laughs> frustrating, but every time I go there... Uh, what are you guys seeing? I mean, it's your stock and trade at Tea Leaf Nation, just basically to read uh, the Weibo tea leaves. Uh, what are you? What are you guys seeing? Yeah, I, th- I think Paul is absolutely right that there is actually a effect right now. But I mean, we are in the you know the early days of the crackdown, so maybe the chilling effect is the the most apparent right now. Um, I mean, after the the crackdown, though, there is sort of a little bit of a backlash. I mean, even ash- after Panchi's. Uh, interview, you know, he basically tweeted and sort of made fun of his own performance, and there is you know, a little bit of uh, people sort of making fun of the um, of the law that you know if you retweet something 500 times, and then uh, you could be in in trouble. I know a lot of people are joking that uh, you know, hey, watch out, you know, don't piss me off because I'm gonna retweet your stuff now. <laughs> um, and so you know, you do see you know the humor coming back, the the you know the irony. That's really popular on China social media, and it's still there. But I do agree <coughs> that you know this is really 
uh, rattling a lot of people's nerves. Um, and especially if you are in a position of uh, influence, if you are one of these big Vs, if you are a business leader, that you usually, even if you don't say that much online, I mean, this is going to really shake you. Could, could we, before, I, I mean, I'd like to return immediately to the question of the big V clampdown, but could we step back a minute and just look at the general trend of WeChat versus Weibo? Because, um, I mean, Danway is different from Tea Leaf Nation, but I mean, a lot of our stock in trade has also been looking at Weibo, I mean, as at least the latest social media platform. And we're finding that we need to really start to understand WeChat because it's, it's, it's very true that a lot of people's uh, screen time is going to WeChat that used to be on Weibo. Um, I wonder if Paul has it, some numbers on, on Yeah, this. do you have any numbers? And is is this big V clampdown, is it maybe the death knell of Weibo? Yeah, and then this is this is a big question because if you look at the statistics, there's, I think, a company called Weibo Reach that puts out some uh, some traffic numbers. And since January, Weibo traffic is down about 20% uh, overall. And so that's a significant number, and that's something that came a bit before the crackdown really sort of uh, accelerated. And so that means that what was happening even before this was a lot of people spending more time on WeChat, less time on Weibo. The interesting thing about WeChat, I, I assume most people who are listening to this have some awareness of it, but it's basically a messaging service that then kind of functions like a mobile Facebook. So you have a profile and you can sort of, you know, set up group chats with friends. And so you have these sort of smaller levels of, of uh, communication. And then on top of that, um, there's these sort of news uh, broadcasts that you can do. And it used to be in the early days that you could kind of put out as many of these as you wanted. So uh, if you were if you were a, a group of journalists, you could put out five articles a day and you could have tens of thousands of people getting this. But um, a few months ago, Tencent actually stopped that and made it so that you can only send one broadcast a day. And they did it under the, uh, the sort of... The, the argument that they wanted to clean up the platform and make sure that, uh, you know, it didn't get too cluttered with people uh, sending, you know, broadcasts all the time. But there's definitely an indication that this also had a political uh, sort of, you know, there was a political element to this, which was that they didn't, the government did not want people getting their own virtual sort of newsletters through this new platform. Uh, and it can also be used, it has been used to organize protests. Uh, the government has cracked down on it. Uh, I was down during the, uh, the January uh, Southern Weekly protests, and I met a few people who were followed. Uh, based on their their sort of activities on WeChat, so they would be discussing things, and then before they could even leave the cafe to go to the protest, the police would be waiting for them and grab them and take them to to jail for the day. So, uh, and people also, when they write things, they sometimes get blocked. But nonetheless, despite all that, all that sort of control that's there, this is where people are spending their time now, and Weibo has definitely taken a hit from WeChat. And uh, and the question is, if if traffic was already going down to begin with, and now you have the most interesting, intriguing people in a platform that's inherently a political one and that's what you know keeps people's interest uh if that's all going on now this is kind of the last push that you might need to really sort of wear out people's interest and in their sort of you know obsessions with Weibo so I think I think this is a serious threat to Weibo and it remains to be seen how people will rebound there's not many alternatives if you want to be a public figure online but nonetheless I think I think it's a serious serious issue and one that you know obviously we'll just have to wait and see how severe this crackdown is do you feel, do you feel the same David uh do I feel the same in which way? I mean, I mean, do you think that this big V crackdown could really threaten Weibo as a, 
as a communication as platform. A, yeah, as the Could re- it mean that, you know, in the future, Tea Leaf Nation is getting much more material from Doban or another social media site rather than Weibo because there's just not interesting stuff going on? Or, <laughs> oh, yeah, Baidu. You know, Baidu has a lot of social services and, sure. you know, they have some nice people working for them, I think. Baidu, no, I, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a very yeah. trenchant question for us, obviously. I mean, we, um, I think have been trying to and need to continue to sort of diversify our information portfolio, if you want to put it that way, because you're right. I mean, in my experience, actually, and it's just one person's experience, um, you know, Sina Weibo has not been as rich a source of information, even over the last few months. You know, this is preceding the latest crackdown, um, as it was when we first started Tea Leaf Nation, where, you know, you would go look at the top 10 posts and, you know, four or five or six of them would be about something that, you know, we would consider to be news. You started news. in t- December 2011, right? Yeah, the very So there was the high point in exactly. a way of Weibo. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so so post-train g- crash and... Uh, yeah, it was after the Wendro crash, but uh, not that long after. Um, and, and before the... the uh, before the, the big Vs had come to really dominate, but it was the rise of the big Vs that time when... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The big V's. And and things, you know, uh, there was obviously an ebb and flow. Um, in particular, I think in April of 2012, when the um, when, by all accounts, the government, you know, took down the comment function of Sinaweibo for three days. Mm-hmm. There was right. a real chilling effect, and that showed me personally that that the government n- knows what it's doing. I mean, in terms of. If they want to rip the heart out of Weibo, they can. They understand how information moves on that medium. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's it's gotten um, a bit more, uh, it's gotten a bit less newsy. Um, and th- that's been true for a few months. So I think we absolutely have to look. You know, the, the, the problem is, uh, as Paul was saying, you know, a platform like Weixin is a bit more private, right? Um, and from the perspective of a journalist, Weibo was really perfect because you had these you know, discussion fora that would spring up around a hot topic. So it, it was a perfect way to mine information. Um, and well, was it perfect though? I mean, I, we, let's, perfect's let's, a strong word. It was yeah, the, the best we had. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it, it's become kind of habitual now. I mean, I know I I, I Josh my friends all Josh well, friends like Josh, mm, who are, are, or basically in every news organization in China right now, uh, the news assistants are basically tasked to watch Weibo the entire time, and and um, we 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 are are constantly joking. Those of us who who can you know. Uh, occasionally be critical of our friends in the media, how they will uh, run immediately out to find Weibo users uh, with with quotes that, that support the particular thesis that they've hatched about um, uh, their take on a particular issue. Um, it's become a substitute for the Vox. Where, whereas it used to be you'd have to go out on the street and ask somebody and they'd probably disagree with you. Basically, is your well, point, or you right? have to keep that asking people until you, you find someone who agrees with you, you know, which <laughs> yeah. could take a few hours as opposed take to ten a few minutes. Hours. Okay, so nothing's but, changed; it's just more efficient now. Yeah, well, yeah, but well. I think the other problem with Weibo is that it's not representative of the Chinese people. I mean, if you look at the percentages and the statistics, uh, it's something like forty percent plus are on the East Coast in Tier One cities, and frankly, that's not age, tw- age, 20, age 20, twenty to thirty. 36. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's, it's not you know, if you want to find out what the person outside of Luoyang in Hunan is thinking about the Apple iPhone or uh, the crackdown on Weibo or whatever, anything, any topic, then you're not going to get that on uh, Weibo. You're going to need to track out there and find it. And I, so I do think there is there is a concern there uh, for journalism and the way we cover it, um, just because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to send somebody there just for one quote. And so you sub Weibo in, but... Um, 
what you're ultimately getting is is the highest echelons of Chinese society, the very plugged in, the very very well informed, um, and the wealthy, and and that's not necessarily the, the sort of average Joe. Aside so from that, though, sorry if I can just uh, because Kaiser said something to me a few times, so I want to kind of push him to try and explain it, and or, or maybe David or, or Rachel could respond to it. Sure. Which is that uh, Kaiser says sometimes. Yeah, uh, I know what you're Kaiser gonna, you're says say. that uh, there's a kind of a game theory on Weibo in a, in the a, sense a, a that game mechanics. Do, do you want to explain it yourself rather than have me hack it? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think I've actually talked about it before on this show that there is a kind of uh, a, a game mechanics for anyone who participates on Weibo that perverts the representative you know quality of it. Um, you are not you you go on and you are expecting that little. You know, dopamine fire from getting a like, from getting you know your your a, a retweet or getting new followers. That's what you want. You want followers. You want positive comments, and you want retweets of of, of what you write. And people figure out very very quickly that a uh, sort of milk toast, balanced, highly nuanced kind of a, you know a wussy kind of a, a, a analysis on something is not going to get you what a snarky, strident kind of, you know, extreme staking out of a, a position is going to get you, right? And so, the, you know, you, immediately you, you go there. And then people end up developing sort of two personas. There's there's the things that they will see to you in, you know, face-to-face and the things that they will say in their way wall persona. And I think this is, it, it skews, I mean, because it, it has this, this, this sort of, Effect and it's it's interesting because there was a, an article I sent around today that, that Bill flagged um, where they spoke specifically about this. Um, this is actually written in Chosher by somebody with a a, a, a pseudonymous name, uh, but they they speak directly to this and to another couple of, of things. Okay, I think that pervert- can, before we get on to Chosher, because I have problems with that, that I won't let you get by that easy. Can we sure. get our guest to respond to the? That Absolutely, idea that to you this, just explained. This perversion idea, right? Well, just I, I completely agree. Um, you know, and in fact, Kaiser, I, I know I've uh, quoted you at least once uh, in my own articles on TLN about this subject. I mean, that that clearly obtains. Um, and much more recently, there was an article in the MIT Technology Review, I think just a couple of days ago, a uh, hat tip to Bill Bishop for bringing that to my attention, um, about the fact that anger uh, is the emotion that is most prone to go viral on Weibo, and that that may be true on all sorts of internet platforms, both inside and outside of China. Anger so, and, and kittens. A, <laughs> anger and kittens. Angry kittens being obviously the most viral of all of the memes. Lethally viral. You know, I think um, that that that's clearly true, and 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 clearly Weibo is just one source of information. I think, nonetheless, it's hard to deny that it was and and still remains, but in particular was a a rich source of information. And you know, um, just to come at this personally for a second. As somebody who was a Peace Corps volunteer from 2001 to 2003, you know, it, it would be a big moment if, if you could sort of have a conversation with somebody where they were, you know, bearing their heart or telling you about their political beliefs and, and the idea that you could go online um, and however flawed the platform, you know, look at tens of thousands of opinions like that uh, was just amazing. So, so I still think it's something that was, you know, valuable and remains valuable. So he didn't push back too hard, Jeremy. How, you, you have some. You got something you want to bring on? Well, um, 
I no. Let's move on to Chilshire. Well, I want to take you on about that. Can I do one thing? Real, there's a Louis C.K. thing that he brings up where when you're in your car and you talk at people that are driving next to you, you know, you, you curse at them, you say terrible, terrible things, but you would never say that to their face if you bumped into them in the elevator That's and they, right. you know, didn't hold the door or something. And but just because people hold back in real life doesn't mean it necessarily reflects what they actually think. Mm-hmm. So people can be much more pleasant in the day-to-day experience and still be cursing under their breath. So I do think that you know it doesn't necessarily discount the sort of emotions you see on Weibo, even if people wouldn't necessarily be brave enough to voice them, uh, you know, to, you know, in the flesh to someone, if yeah, that makes sense. I'll buy that the, the, the discount isn't really super steep, uh, but I think that, that it's there nonetheless. There is this effect. Yeah. I would I'd go that far. Let me, let me raise the other big objection, and this is something that we've pointed out when we were talking about this handful of 50-odd people with over 10 million followers or numbers, you know, followers in the tens of millions. I think that was from Chris Buckley's piece. Uh, if you think of it in terms of, of, of economics, I mean, that's a really, really high Gini coefficient, right? They're, they're most people are sort of, you know, wandering through their social media lives with with a few dozen, a few score of, of followers, right? That's the new information environment. A few, few, few blockbusters and everybody else's long tail. Right. That's not unique to China. No, it's, it's certainly not, but it, but it, it, it certainly does. Uh, doesn't lend to this idea that that Weibo is in some sense truly representative. Well, it may not be, uh, and it's not. And the the thing that I wanted to push against uh, you again was about the Chilshire, the Seeking Truth um, uh, article, which by I did this, not write. <laughs> which um, by Wang Shi uh, Ping, sorry Shi Ping, uh, probably a pseudonym. And there's a translation on a blog called OptimistsChina.com. Or yeah, you can read the hold on, that's my, my recommendation. Oh, it is. For okay, today, sorry so, yeah. about that. <laughs> anyway, um, so in this article, it's a you know worthy article by a propagandist who's uh, a pretty defending. skilled one. Yeah. This so one? so this guy says that China has the world's uh, most bustling and noisy network, the network most dominated by public opinion. Now, this is. Only somebody who has not spent longer than about six months outside of China could possibly think that China's internet is the most bustling and most dominated by public opinion. Have you been on fucking Twitter? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say anything you want about <coughs> sure, Obama but, on but, Twitter. But you do, you don't uh, have it is not the most dominated by public oh, opinion. I, I, it's I the least it is. dominated no, by no, no, public no. opinion. I think that, that public I think opinion, this is online a, public opinion, opinion of in somebody China. who's stuck behind the great firewall kind yeah. of I think online public opinion in China has more bearing uh, I mean it, it, it makes uh, it makes decision makers at all levels of politics more nervous they perspire more uh, because of, of online public opinion than in say the United States where there has been a public sphere forever where it's only because novel. they sense everything else right there's lack only of because other they outlets. sense everything I mean, else that's the reason you know I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with his claim. But uh, the public opinion sphere in the United States or Europe includes newspapers. It doesn't in China. That's right. So, you know, it's not the world's most bus- bustling public opinion. And one of the fundamental no, problems they have... But it is, the internet, it is, is the internet environment that is most dominated by public opinion. And, well, and, and it's for the very reason that you say. It's because there aren't other extensions of the public sphere in China. The newspapers, you certainly aren't going to find that. You certainly aren't going to... You, you can't... Oh, you know, run a private radio station that you're exactly. So the problem is these bozos think they have a real public sphere when they don't. It's it's uh, you know, and so we are stuck. We are stuck. We are stuck with um, Mr. Lu Wei. I'm sorry. I just have to rant. Read his essay. It's Lenin. 
It's all about Lenin. Can I read you a quote from Lenin? Lenin said in 1901 in his essay, Where to Begin, the role of a newspaper is not limited, however, merely to the spreading of ideas, merely to political education and attracting political allies. A newspaper is not only a collective propagandist and collective agitator, but also a collective organizer. And that is what the Internet is expected to be in China. I think that, uh, yes, in, in, their, in their mind it is, but it certainly is a far cry from that right now. I mean, the, the fact that they feel a need to crack down on, on the big Vs suggests that they believe that the public sphere has gotten out of hand, that it's gotten a little too wild and woolly. And I think that, Jeremy, you would certainly agree with me that um, there isn't a, a, a day that goes by where you don't see somebody laid low, some, some official in some far-flung, you know, Township who, who is who's Rachel, had his malfeasance exposed. But that, Paul, that doesn't mean, I mean that it's freewheeling. If uh, assuming arguendo that all of those accusations are true, then it's not freewheeling. Uh, it's it's efficient, right? So it really depends on whether the information being spread is true or not. And unfortunately, right. the verification of that truth is left to the same authority that regulates the internet, which Just is Just to be clear, I didn't say freewheeling. I said uh, more freewheeling than the, the, the Chinese Communist Party would, would, would like. Okay. I wouldn't okay, say sure. in absolute terms that it is. You know. Right. I guess, I guess my point is that you know, simply to say that f- officials are being felled left and right doesn't tell you anything about whether it's a positive or negative thing. You have to look at whether they deserve to be felled. It's one of the things, though, that, that the author of that of that Chosha piece actually points out. He he names a few of the things that he thinks uh, have been beneficial about uh, about allowing this this public sphere, and it, it's it's quite quite smart. I mean, he he basically owns this idea that it, it, it's a, a good. Uh, release valve for for pent up negative energies. He owns this idea that uh, it, it can be used to further the party's ends by doing exactly this, by taking down the errant, you know, uh, provincial, you know, uh, vice party secretary or... Mm. And he smartly, he smartly brings up the counterexample as well, right? He goes into that that Hunan province official who was accused of rape and turned out not to have uh, have not done it apparently. And so, you know, he he points at the other side because there are, let's face it, there are a lot of rumors flying around Weibo and uh, it is a problem and it does cause people to jump to action at moments when, uh, you know, in in other places like in the United States, they might not because there are other ways to get at these issues. But here it does sort of have a much more direct um, and, you know, efficient sort of channel to action. Right. Not long ago, we were all, you know, horrified at the, the online vigilantism that we neatly called you know, human flesh search engines. Uh, and, and suddenly that, that's no longer the buzzword. We, we no longer, <laughs> how we are so fickle. Uh, the, the other things that he, he talks about, though, I mean, um, these are all, also points that I raised. For example, that, 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 that game mechanics, the, the, the stridency that it encourages, and also uh, the kind of hygiene coefficient, the, the lopsidedness of, of, of influence, um, the, how it, 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 it accrues yeah, in the yeah, hands yeah, of the very yeah. It's all great. I mean, the, the trouble is that the context to all of this is that if you disagree with us, we will crush you like a cockroach. Uh, that, Isn't that the trouble? Of course that's trouble, but that's not what we're really talking about here. I mean, uh, we're not here to just sim- simply morally indict them for, uh, for, for, for having a regime of information control. Let's, let's look more at you know, what the impact is going to be. And well, let's do that. So what is the impact going to be? I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all, yes, we're all scandalized you know, by the, the fact that there is information control at all, right? Because we're, we're, we're good liberals. We're scandalized. Well, to, me we're liberals. Uh, to me what's interesting is just the change in tactics, right? Um, I mean, from, you know, I don't think anybody going into six months ago, eight months ago, 
with the leadership change, thought that we were going to see an opening up of uh, social media here, right? That when people talked about reform, they were talking about completely different things. They were not talking about any kind of, you know, yenlin zuyo, kind of like, you know, free press, freedom of speech, lack of censorship. None of that was on the table. Nobody thought it was on the table. Uh, but from what we had before, which was censorship, Cena finding a kind of happy balance of letting some stuff come out, other stuff not, uh, getting punished, you know, comments suspended for a few days uh, if you if you if you go too far, that was fine. But now we're we're a few months into six months in seven months in to Xi Jinping's reign, and we're seeing a newly concerted, stronger effort that's doing different things too. Mm-hmm. It's taking mm-hmm. people, it's putting them in front of uh, cameras on CCTV, having them tremblingly sort of you know confess that they were not responsible, and and really sort of make statements that that intimidates people. And and that's and that's I think the thing that has really rattled a lot of people uh, is that idea of the the sort of PR element to this whole thing that really, really very much does allude to this, the culture, cultural revolution and what happened back then. And there are some people who argue that one of the reasons for this is because Xi Jinping and this generation of leaders, of course, uh, grew up, uh, spent some of their most formative years during the That's cultural revolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense, Rachel? Well, actually, that this reminds me less of the Cultural Revolution rather than the you know, 1957, the anti-rightist movement, where the intellectuals at the time, you know, those who were outspoken, were actually, um, you know, taken and detained and sent to labor camp. And this is what, you know, uh, more than the Cultural Revolution, which is kind of a mass movement, um, this is more sort of a government-led movement that reminds me more of the 1957. And it was preceded also by a kind of hundred flowers, right? That's right, that's right. Also, because if it was a cultural revolution, we'd actually be taking Lu Wei and parading him around on the streets right, and yeah. beating him. It would be much more fun than this, right? <laughs> in, in, addition to, in addition to these historical antecedents, I do think, you know, going back, I, I, I think it's important to note that this is sort of an end run around the companies themselves, right? Because the, the Internet providers themselves were and remain hopelessly conflicted in terms of, you know, being a partner with the government, right? I mean, the, the more that these platforms flourish, the better ostensibly these companies would do because they would have more users. Um, and I think the government just determined that, you know, rather than trying to persuade Cena to, you know, fully implement these systems, which doesn't appear to have been successful yet, although that may change, just go after the big Vs, just go after the individuals. The, the right. chilling effect is much more direct. It's a much more sort of clean mm. solution if you're looking at it from that perspective. What's interesting, though, is that Cena, I think its stock is doing pretty much better than ever. <laughs> and and Weixin's success, although it's been at the expense of Cena Weibo in terms of traffic, it, it appears to be uh, you know just a growing pie for everyone. So Tencent, what, their market cap, I think, is approaching Facebook. Uh, past 100 yeah, billion. Past yeah, it hasn't passed Facebook's. It's but, not past Facebook, but it's closing yeah. in. And, yeah. and Cena's also doing better. So. But Cena, I don't Cena, know what that means. So yeah, so yeah cause I, we actually have been looking at this a bit. And uh, so Cena's share price right now is still way below what it was during 2011. But it's come from a serious rebound during much of 2012 when it was way, way low. And that was sort of amidst these different crackdowns. We, we talked about the suspension of comments and, and all these different real name registration issues um, and also just their inability to make money. The more important thing is what investors are looking at with Weibo now is they see it as a way that you can actually make money because there's this Alibaba cooperation going on and they're starting to see revenue being generated from that. Mm -hmm. The question is, will there be enough users left to sell things to at the end of it? Now, I was talking to an analyst the other day and he said, well, you know, you run off the the political people. That's fine. You still have the people who are posting cat photos. You still have the people who are into Wu Yue Tian or whatever sort of musical group 
group you want. You still have these different types of people who are going to be on there, you know, because they frankly have nothing better to do and they want to sort of talk into public. Uh, and so to those people, you can still market to them. And if you can sell them things through Taobao, through whatever, you'll make money. And so investors are betting on that. I still think uh, there's not a full awareness yet over there of how frosty things have gotten here. But that's that's me personally. Others disagree. So. And, and Zena has seen through many a winter, one, one should Indeed, say, as a yeah, company, many true. a winter of all kinds. Um, Paul, one of the things that you mentioned was real name registration. Um, there was a, a big push to uh, to enforce this. Uh, when was that? When was the, the big real real name registration push? It was, uh, last March. Okay, it was in, right, right, right. And uh, not much seems to have come of it. That was the most recent. I mean, the first effort to enforce <laughs> real name registration was back in the nineties. Right, right, right. I mean, right. This <laughs> is the most recent iteration. I mean, the most serious to date. And then the, the yeah. new user agreement as well, right? The point system, the reporting system. Yeah, right. yeah. Does, do you want to explain what that was, just to people who might not remember? Uh, you, you were actually docked certain. You had a certain number of. It's kind of like points on your driving your driver's license I mean, for infractions you were fined certain numbers of points and uh, and I think ostensibly you could get kicked off if you were given you, enough points but I I'm not aware of when that actually happened it didn't seem like the user agreement had any impact in terms of chilling speech on Cena Weibo so what do you think is going to happen now do you think that because uh, on in 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 Lue's remarks uh, on the September 17th People's Daily editorial he wrote which uh, there's there's a translation of online uh, it, it translated as make online public opinion work into oh I'm sorry make online public opinion work into the heaviest of heavies in propaganda and ideolo- in ideology work uh, heaviest of heavies is zhong zhong zhi zhong it's quite catchy zhong zhong zhi zhong yeah zhong zhong zhi zhong yeah which is kind of tongue twistery. Uh, is it coming? Is, is is real name registration something that they're going to focus on? Yeah, I think they were going to have the real real name registration maybe soon. Um, and uh, because last time in March of last year when they tried it, Sina and other uh, for other platforms basically said, okay, yeah, but but we can ask users to register with their cell phones, which means that. Um, because cell phones are supposed to be registered with users' real names, even though no one does it in China, um, then you know, then we're fine because you're supposed to know from the you know telecom providers who these people are. But I mean, of course, telecom operators also do not know who the right. users are. Uh, but now I think. Um, but I mean, to some extent, it's already worked. Right? I mean, right now, in, in addition to big V's. Ordinary users are being arrested just for tweeting, um, you know, some things. For example, you know, someone tweeted, oh, wasn't there an accident on this highway, you know, from where I live? And that person was arrested because that's supposed to be a rumor. Um, and, uh, but, you know, obviously the police knew exactly who this person was, where they lived, and they just went in. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the real name registration or not, the police were able to find you based on your IP address or whatever. Um, and that's, n- I mean, real n- asking people to register with their real name is really telling them that, you know, you are being watched. Yeah. And, and But I mean, the other big question with real name registration is how do you implement it fully? Sina, for instance, has 
500 million users, but for Weibo, but about half of those are zombie accounts that don't have any person behind them. So if Cena were to come out and actually fully implement some kind of real name registration, first off, you know, the, the service is revealed for what it is, which is a much smaller service than it seemed, than it sort of purports to be. It purports um, to be what, 200 million? Well, it's, 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 it's 500 million oh, users, right, 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 I think. Right. Uh, I think that's right. 200 two, million actives. No, no, 50 million daily active right, users. Right, right. So, uh, I mean, monthly, maybe that goes up to 150, 200, yeah. But I mean, but the point is, so even if you, even if you, if everybody who's using it all the time is willing to give you the information you want uh, to, to register them, you're still going to cut their user base in half on paper, which is, you know, a listed company's nightmare. Uh, and, and, and of course, if a third of those people are unwilling to do that, then you lose even more users. The other question is real name registration on phones, uh, which I think is almost more important at this point because, uh, you know, Weibo, you know, you can track people on IP addresses, but on SIM cards that are anonymous, that uh, that 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 proves much harder. And that's something where there's really no real name registration yet. So, like the guy who got taken down in China Mobile last month, Xu Long, uh, he was the head of uh, Guangdong Province, and his real name registration uh, targets were like at 18, percent and he was faulted in an audit specifically for having missed his real name registration targets so massively. Wow. So, and then you know he went down two months following that audit. So that's something to bear in mind. That's interesting. You know, we're, we're really, uh, we're running long. Uh, I know this is a fascinating topic and we could keep going on it, but I do want to squeeze in quickly our recommendation segment. So let's wrap this up. Thanks, guys. That was a terrific conversation and uh, I'm really, really glad that, that we could have you in. Um, let's, let's, let's quickly go on with, with uh, recommendations now and let's start with Jeremy. All right, I'm being naughty us? again. I've got two instead of one. Okay. The first one is a post on China Digital Times. Uh, I think it's written by Sophie Beach, one yeah. of the main voices there. Uh, reflections on 10 years covering China's cyberspace. I actually thought that Dunway had uh, kind of been a little earlier than China Digital Times, but we were later than we launched about a month after they did in, in October. So we're coming on, on 10 years too, but uh, a little tiny post by Sophie Beach on 10 years of China Digital Times. It's full of juicy, great links, just wonderful. So it's a great piece to read. It's great. great. And then the second thing I'd like to recommend is there's this amazing, he's a living treasure of Australia called Philip Adams and I've been on his radio show he's just this lovely guy with a deep voice in his 70s uh, long it's sort of like Charlie Rose for the other people who speak English outside of America uh, from Australia Philip Adams late night live radio show on ABC and of course available as a podcast yeah I'll definitely give that you you told me about that guy last time over beers he's wonderful really, really great I nearly killed him in a traffic accident uh and there were many Australians very angry at me for that. Oh, no. But he's alive. Um, and so are you, and I'm, I'm glad to yeah. see that. David, what do you have for us? I would actually like to recommend Offbeat China, which I think um, is a really wonderful site, does a lot of the same work that TLN does, uh, the Tea Leaf Nation does, obviously more than enough work to go around. So, you know, if, for those who um, haven't checked it out, I, I highly encourage you to. I think it's a great resource. Second that. Yeah, Offbeat China, terrific blog, terrific site. Rachel, what do you have for us? Uh, I would recommend a book I started reading recently. It's uh, a CCTV presenter, Chai Jing. Uh, her, her, her basically autobiography is called Kan Jian. And uh, it's basically her experience working on CCTV and being uh, a journalist there f- uh, from about 2000 and then covering, um, you know, events like SARS and various things. And uh, it's pretty fascinating if you want some, you know, a look on inside 
uh, how CCTV works. Uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the juicy tidbits in there. I mean, that would be great. Paul, what do you have for us? Uh, go back a little bit in time. Uh, John Steinbeck's East of Eden, which I just I, read that. I just oh, did you just read it? it? Okay, so it. Yeah, I didn't know there was a Chinese character. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's an amazingly wise. Yeah, wise and, and he censors. So, so he's this, this character, Lee, I was delighted to find in this, this book that's sort of about turn-of-the-century America, California in particular. But there's a Chinese uh, uh, immigrant in it who... Uh, speaks perfect English, but censors himself around uh, the white folk and uh, speaks in a, in a sort of pidgin Chinese accent. But then he'll sort of let down his guard when he's around people he's comfortable with. And he's incredibly uh, eloquent. And he actually pieces together the sort of central illusion of the whole book, which is, you know, about Cain and Abel right. and rejection and how that leads to all sort of human problems and, and, and so on. So uh, he's a fantastic little, you know, quirk to that book. But the book itself is great, too. It's, so. it's one of my favorite. I mean, it's my favorite Steinbeck novel by, by far. Yeah. Uh, I love that I love that. I, mean, I I just I reread it like within the last year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great book. Yeah, yeah. excellent, excellent. Um, my recommendation is another. It's sort of in the same day, vein as as David's. Uh, a a site that I just discovered actually today because of uh, a link that Bill sent. Bill Bishop sent out. Uh, the site's called An Optimist's Guide to China. Uh, it's written by a guy named Matt Sheehan, who I believe has 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 contributed a few pieces to Tea Leaf Nation. Some very good pieces, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Uh, he's an American, I understand. Clearly completely deranged, right. judging from the title of his blog, but anyway. Uh, and he, he does very, very good translations. Um, Sorry. The two most recent uh, have to do directly with our, our podcast topic for for today. Uh, one is called Eradicate the Breeding Ground of Rumors by a guy named Wang Arping. And uh, the most recent is Clear Up the Atmosphere in Cyberspace uh, in Seeking Truth by uh, Shi Ping. Um, the pseudonymous Shripian. So great, great site. Uh, he's off to a terrific start, and I, I wish him all the best, and I hope he continues. Um, I, I left a comment on his blog today, and he Twittered, tweeted back to me saying that he's a big Seneca fan. So, hey, wonderful. Uh, thanks, you guys. David, it was great. Th- I mean, the, the stars aligned, and you were here for the right topic. Rachel, David, thanks so much. Thank you, yeah. Paul, great. we look forward to having you back again a lot. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, Jeremy, all right, man, you behaved yourself pretty well today. More or less. Um, very I'm little very ranting, fun. despite yeah. so- something that, you know, can I just say at the end no, of the show no, okay. that I'm <laughs> fucking appalled. <laughs> They're behaving like beasts. It's monstrous. Uh, it's totally monstrous. It's unacceptable. <laughs> We'll see you next week on the Seneca Podcast. (laughs) Jeremy, let's go have a beer and you can rant at me all you want. Take care. Bye-bye.